verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent, am bold toward you. I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intended to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down imaginations or arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We have been dealing with the Worldview, how we see things in the world that we live in, and the overall picture, just to remind you once again, that began with creation and then the fall. That changed everything. God created man to have fellowship with God. He gave us the privilege to walk with him in the Garden of Eden. Then mankind sinned, and because of that, we were separated from God for all eternity until the reality of the redemption became personal in our own life. So creation, the fall, redemption. God sent his Son into the world to redeem them, to redeem us from our sin, to be brought back to fellowship with him, and ultimately to restoration. So creation, fall, redemption, brought back to God, and restoration. But we are still living in this world, this fallen world. We are redeemed, we're children of God, but We're in this world, and this battle goes on in this world between the flesh and the spirit. And in understanding, that battle works its way out in many ways. We mentioned last week or two weeks ago about the cultural war that we're in. And and yet that that is just one segment of the battle. The most important battleground that there is, is the one that takes place in your mind and in my mind. Every other battle in this life comes out of that battleground. And and in understanding, I believe that, that many times, for sure as people, but in particular as Christians, we fail to realize the importance of this battleground. The mind is very important and very powerful in understanding the reality of this. The battle for your mind is a battle that is intense. It is a battle that is vicious. It is unrelenting. 
It is unfair because Satan never plays fair. And the reason this is such an intense battle is because your greatest asset is your mind. Our mind, the Bible talks much about our mind, and and he nearly synonymous is the mind and the heart. He says that um, we are to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. He says, as a man thinketh in his heart, notice that thinking, we normally think of our our mind as the one that does the thinking, but he, it, it's hard to differentiate the heart and the mind. And he says in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What takes place in your mind is eventually going to come out in your life. The mind is, is very, very important. What controls the mind controls the person. Your thoughts dictate what you will do. And in understanding, I say the mind is very important and powerful. Uh, I will add it's also very limited. Don't believe the lie that whatever your mind conceives, you can accomplish. That's not true. We're limited in this body. But the battleground is for our mind. And the natural mind cannot be trusted. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. We'll be coming back to 2 Corinthians, but Matthew 15. Matthew 15, Jesus is instructing his disciples about defilement. There were people that were concerned about what disciples were eating and concerned about the letter of the law. And Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 17, Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goeth into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart, now notice what he lists, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Notice the picture, if you would, the x-ray of the heart, the natural heart, out of the heart, and he lists these things. Our heart and mind is broken by the fall. Our mind is corrupted. Let me just mention Some of the words that the Bible uses when it's talking about our mind, it is confused, he mentions in Deuteronomy 28. It is evil. It is a troubled mind, a depraved mind, a reprobate mind many people have, 
a sinful mind, Romans 8, 7 mentions. He mentions in 2 Corinthians 3, 14, it is a dull mind. The natural mind cannot comprehend the things of God. It is a dull mind. It is a blinded mind. The God of this world hath blinded the mind of those that do not know him. It is a corrupt mind, we mentioned. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, in understanding that, in understanding because of the fall, our mind is violated. Our mind is corrupt. So just because you get a thought, or a desire does not mean that it is correct. This is very important in our worldview today. Many people have many different desires fallen by nature, and they have many different desires, and they think that having this desire is who I am. As a fallen man... Our mind has been corrupted. And we, we need to understand the battle is for the mind. And all sin begins with the lie. And Satan is the father of lies. And he loves to get our mind to believe a lie. That if he can get us to believe a lie then it is just a matter of time until we sin. And any time we sin, we are thinking that we know better than God and we can choose right and wrong and we believe a lie. So it's understanding the mind is very, very powerful, very, very important. It's the battleground in our life. And the natural mind cannot be trusted. Just because a person has a thought does not mean that is right. See, it's it's important to understand in, in the world that we live in today, these issues. People say, I have a desire for, I have same-sex attraction. You can't deny that they may have that desire. They may have because our fallen nature is corrupt. The problem is, it's a lie that we were designed for same-sex attraction. Just because a person has a desire. What if I'm a pyromaniac and I have a desire to burn buildings down? Does that mean, I mean, you can take that in any, any way. You can take it in, in heterosexual. What if a guy has a desire to have physical relations with many, many women? Well, he may have that desire. But that's a fallen nature desire. That's a corrupted desire. We can't trust our mind. Our mind, by nature, is corrupted and fallen. 
we may have a desire to, to just gather things. Well, just because we have that desire, it doesn't mean that's what we should be doing. Only having the mind of Christ repairs our mind. Only redemption can repair the mind. It doesn't mean it, it automatically, automatically makes the battle go away, but only Jesus Christ can redeem, to buy back, to make right our natural mind that is fallen. I'm sorry, people, in this section, I always point to this as the fallen. If that offends you, next Sunday sit over here, okay? Just kidding. But the only thing that can fix the fallen nature of man is Jesus Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And, and bear with me as I read these verses. I, I believe it's important. I, I wish I had time to read all of chapter 2. And you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now work, that works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. Notice what he's saying in those verses. He's describing the fallen nature of man. We live to the desires of our heart and mind. We obeyed the desires of our heart and mind. The spirit of disobedience, according to the prince of this world, that's Satan. That was our nature. But notice verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice what he said. The first three verses are fallen nature, fallen mind. But God, who is rich in mercy, of his great love, he made us alive together in Christ. This is the redemption. Made us alive together in Christ, for by grace are we saved. And we know, verse 8, 9, for by grace are we saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. Our natural mind couldn't do it. Our natural effort couldn't do it. For by grace are we saved through faith. Not of works which we have done, but according to his mercy. 
Our natural mind could not be changed. It could not be reformed. It could not be rehabilitated. Nothing could be done for it except the grace of God through Jesus Christ. The answer for all of the social problems in the world today is still Jesus Christ. That's why it's not enough to vote. We must spread the gospel. We must bring Christ to fallen people. We're all fallen. And Christ alone is the answer. So, it's not like once you have Christ that all your problems are over, the battle's over. No, he said in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What did you do this last week to renew your mind? Notice this is the battleground. He says, I don't want you to go back and live, Romans 12, like you did before you knew Christ. I don't want you to live like someone that just has a natural mind. I want you to live as a follower of Christ. I want you to be transformed. And the way you are transformed, right, you must first of all receive Jesus Christ. Come to the point where you say, I know I cannot save myself. I am dependent on Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin, and I trust him for my salvation. And then daily, we need to be renewing our mind through the word of God. Why? Our mind is bent toward evil. Our mind is bent towards selfishness. Our mind is bent towards sensuality. Our mind is bent away from God. And we need to renew our mind. You renew your mind by the washing of water by the Word of God. That's why it's so important that we get in the Word of God continually. It's the Word. The Word renews our mind. Now, do you understand? You... And I are the gatekeepers of our mind. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 again. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, For though we are walking in the flesh, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, Casting down imaginations or arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity and bringing every thought into captivity, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's our responsibility. Jesus Christ forgives our sins, he gives us spiritual life, he gives us spiritual life, and now we have the spirit and the flesh. And we are the gatekeeper of our soul, of our mind. We are to take captive every thought. The the word that is used there in the original language means to control, to conquer, to bring into submission. We are to take it captive. We are to take our thoughts and make them submit. Every thought obedient to Christ. The word obedient there means to bring into submission, to bring under control. 
When did you last reject a thought? Yet the thought was coming your way, and you you said, no way, I'm not even going there. That ought to be happening often in our life. Because we get thoughts that come from our own heart. We get thoughts from things that we see. We get thoughts from things that we hear. And and we need to be standing at the guard door of our mind and saying, I am testing every thought that comes in here. Whatever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. Does it pass this test? No, you can't get in. And the reason that we have so many ineffective believers today is that we don't know how to fight the battle of the mind. We're not, we're not renewing our mind with truth. We're not standing at the guard of our heart and saying, no, that's an impure thought. That, that's a thought of anger. That's a thought of, of arrogance that I think that guy's an idiot the way he's driving. No, I can't go there. But most of us, sad to say, our mind, many of us, our minds are like a septic tank. Whatever comes down the pipe falls into it. And there it is. No, we need to be guarding our mind and say, nope, you have no access here. Show me your access. Where do you meet the Philippians 4.8 test? Whatever things are true, honest, and so on. And we need to be diligently guarding our minds this is the battleground. This is the, the area where the devil seeks to destroy. The devil's goal is to destroy your body, your mind, and your spirit. To keep God from being glorified. We'll talk more about this probably next week. But, but those are the battlegrounds. But your mind is where all of this comes from. We will never be victorious until we learn to give attention to our mind and to our thinking. In order to win the victory over the flesh and sin, we must win the victory in our minds. And, and it is important that we understand that we are the gatekeeper of our mind, and it is important that we understand what the Bible says, because this is warfare. So, Enemies love to infiltrate, don't they? They love to come in and and be deceptive and act like they're for us and then destroy us. And this is the utmost of the warfare. You can talk about the war on terrorism. You can talk about the cultural war. But the spiritual warfare that takes place in your mind is the most important warfare that there is. And none of the others are going to matter in the long run. And the reality is, for too long, we have not been alert to the mind of the battleground that I can't guard your mind and you can't guard mine. I am personally responsible for my mind. Every one of us, our minds are busy all the time. Every one of us meditates on things. We're, we're thinking about things. And thoughts like, for me, that's, that's a lie of Satan. 
We sang this morning, his grace reached me. Poor me, his grace reached me. Feel sorry for me. No, how could that be? But we meditate on these things. They don't like me. You're meditating on the wrong things. That's where we got to come back and take control of our minds. That's where we have to come back. What does God's word say about this? Every day you're bombarded with things that the world's giving you the world's philosophy. And we want to equip you so that you know what the Bible says. And you're able to stand in the truth and walk in the truth as you guard your mind. I believe it's very, very important that we equip each of us, and that's the work of the ministry, is to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry so that we can go out and minister. So we can go out and say, no, this is truth. This is the truth. Not just about God and Satan, but this is how truth applies in every area of our life. To help us equip you, we are, we are making available, as you leave today, on the back table, a book entitled Well-Versed. I, it's Biblical Answers to Today's Tough Issues. It has 27 different issues in here to help equip us, all the way from uh, the First Amendment, the purpose of government, political correctness, marriage, health care, sex orientation, debt, social security, minimum wage, social justice, national defense, Israel, Islam, refugees, um, media, so on. The purpose of this is not necessarily to help us in the cultural war, but to help us to walk in truth so we don't believe lies. And every Sunday morning, Lord willing, we will be dealing with one of these issues in the opening of our service. You can read over it before you come. We'll show a little video. We're going to show you in just a moment the video of of chapter 1. Why are we quiet? And this is to equip us. We need our mind. We need to be building barriers around our mind so that we are protected from the lies of Satan. And the lies of Satan are everywhere. So I'm going to ask them if they'll bring up this video right now. Um, This is by James Garlow. And uh, he will be sharing. This is the, the first one from... Why are we quiet? And and I trust that it will help you to have a passion. I need, you know, desperate times requires desperate means. Some of you may have lived during World War II. Not many of you here did. Some of you did. But there were desperate means and desperate times. There was rationing salt, there was rationing sugar, there was rationing gas. Why? Because there is a definite war that was going on, and we're willing to do anything to win it. There is a war going on in your mind, and we act like it's a playground. It is a war that Satan wants to fill our minds with lies. 
and we want to equip you with truth. Well-versed, small group series, chapter one, why are we quiet? In 2013, George Barna did a poll that revealed something really amazing. In that poll, he said that 90% of pastors agree that the Bible speaks to political and social issues of our time. But later on in that same survey, when he asked the question, will you, pastor, speak out on those issues? 90% of the pastors said, no, we will not speak out on those issues that the Bible speaks out on. Why would that be? Another amazing survey came out the following year. That was in 2014. It was the Pew Research Poll. And it showed two lines that suddenly on the graph suddenly crossed. In fact, they weren't even sure if it was an aberration. What was this Pew Research Poll discovery? It was that suddenly more people wanted their pastors to speak out or their churches to speak out political associations than those who did not. 49% to 48%. The lines dramatically were changing and and actually crossed at that point. What was going on? And and then in 2015, George Barner released another poll in which when church attenders were interviewed, they identified 22 different topics, political and social topics, that they want their pastor to speak out on. More than 50% of congregants said, we have identified these 22 areas These are political and social hotbed issues, and we would like biblical instruction on them. But one of the most fascinating things about that particular survey was when they said these words. We don't speak out on the issues, not because we're afraid we're going to be called some name or put down or called intolerant or something. We don't speak out on the issues because we don't know what to say. Now, that prompted me to write this book called Well-Versed. Biblical answers to today's tough issues to equip people how to speak out and understand what the Scripture says to about 30 different political and social topics. And then with it comes an audio book. It's about seven or eight hours of listening. You can go through the entire book and so you understand what these particular issues are. Why did the pulpit, why did the church go so silent? It all goes back to one date. This is the date that changed history in my opinion. July the 2nd, 1954. That right there is the date that altered American history. In fact, if you want to know, let me put it bluntly, why we're in the mess we're in, it's because of what happened that day. On that day, Lyndon Baines Johnson had returned from Texas. He was a senator. He was in a tough election battle for the Senate. And two businessmen opposed him, using not-for-profit corporations to oppose him because they thought he was soft on communism. He got back to D.C. There was an overhaul of the tax code going through the U.S. Senate. He submitted what became known later as the Johnson Amendment. There was no discussion in the Senate on it. There was only a voice vote. But it effectively censored or muzzled pastors and churches. Now, the the chief of staff for Johnson admitted we didn't have churches in mind. We were just angry at those two businessmen and wanted to shut them down from opposing Lyndon Baines Johnson. But the IRS seized the moment, and they started muzzling pastors and said, you cannot, and the rule kind of reads vaguely. It says you cannot endorse or you cannot oppose a candidate. Now, the problem is that's vague. Let me give you an example. Suppose one person running for office is pro-life. Let's suppose the other one is pro-abortion. And a pastor says, you know, we really ought to be biblically pro-life. 
That's who we ought to be supporting. Well, is that not a de facto endorsement of one candidate and, a, in fact, an opposition to another candidate? So the IRS cannot really say, what does the law actually mean? But a whole cultural myth developed around it, and pastors said, well, we can't be, quote, political. That's the buzzword. We can't be political. Put that one in quotes. And if a pastor does speak out, people in the pew might say, oh, you can't, you can't dare speak out on issues. And what's interesting, that applied to 501c three groups. There are 29 different categories that are 501c. There's only one, 501c3, that was silenced or muzzled by this. That happened to include all churches. What's the problem with this law, the Johnson Amendment? The answer is very simple. It's unconstitutional. And so pastors, I don't know how many, maybe around three or 4,000 pastors, have intentionally violated the Johnson Amendment recorded their sermons, mailed it to the IRS, and said, sue us. Because the Alliance Defending Freedom, a group of, well, around 3,000 attorneys, say we're prepared to defend you because that law is unconstitutional. It's been there for 62 years. But the problem is of a cultural myth that's developed around it. And that cultural myth is the separation of church and state. Now, where in the Constitution does that appear? Hmm, nowhere. Where in the Declaration of Independence does that occur? Nowhere. Where does it come from? It comes from January the 2nd, 1802. Well, actually, January the 1st, 1802. Thomas Jefferson was writing to a group of religious leaders, the Danbury Baptist, and he was guaranteeing them that the federal government would not lean in, would not try to do anything intrusive into the religious life of the people. And so, consequently, he used the phrase, wall of, of, of separation. That phrase, wall of separation, got changed into separation of church and state, but it got twisted totally in its meaning, starting with the 1947 Everson case for the Supreme Court and other cases we want time to go into. But the bottom line, Jefferson's whole understanding of separation of church and state was the government has no right to intrude in the church. He didn't keep the church or biblical principles out of the government. How do we know this? When he was president, he approved an amazing thing. It was a weekly worship service held in the U.S. Capitol building. A Christian, based upon the Bible, a Christian worship service held in the U.S. Capitol building. Started in 1800. It continued all the way to 1869. Guess who attended? President Thomas Jefferson. Contrary to the historical revisionists who like to completely put a whole new image and spin on him, he was not an advocate of their definition of separation church and state. He recognized the validity of the Christian values and the Bible so much that sermons were preached in Christian services in the U.S. Capitol building from 1800 to 1869. And they they were stopped in that year, and then they were picked up again. After 145 years, our church had the privilege, Skyline Church in San Diego, where I pastor, had the privilege of partnering with Dan Cummins. He's a part of our church staff. And we moved him to Washington, D.C. He lives across the street from the U.S. Supreme Court. And we relaunched services, weekly worship services, in the U.S. Capitol building. Some services are for members of Congress and their staff. Others are for the Capitol Police and federal employees. The point is, and by the way, they're called the Jefferson Gathering in honor of Thomas Jefferson. Now, in this book, I want to go further. The Scripture actually speaks to all biblical issues. And here's kind of the rule of thumb that I follow. In some cases, the Bible speaks very clearly. In other cases, it just has overarching principles. In some cases, it's more by 
inference or implication. Sometimes the Bible may, in fact, be silent on something. And so, if the Bible's silent, we're silent. But in all these other categories, if the Bible speaks, we ought to speak. Because you know what happens? If a country, a nation operates by biblical principles, peace and tranquility come to that nation. If a nation operates by biblical principles, peace and tranquility come to that nation. Are you in favor of that? Then it means we need to get back to biblical principles. Do we know what the biblical principles are? So this will be to help equip. um, And I encourage you, if you're not, let me first say, I encourage you to take a book. And I encourage you, the chapters are small, like five to seven pages, and it's big print, okay? So I know some of you are like me. You look at how long a chapter is, you look at how big the print is, and so on. Um, Take it and use it. Read um, chapter 1. If you want to be ahead, read chapter 2. And next week we'll have a short little video in the opening of our service on chapter 2. And... um, One a week. Just go through that. Don't take a book if you're not going to read it. We can get it to somebody that, I mean, we're not there. We don't have any video cameras. Who didn't take a book? Who did take a book? If you're not going to read it, don't take it. If you are, take it. If you know someone that when you get home and you look at this and you think, man, I want want to get this to someone else, we have them here. And and you can use them. But our whole purpose is to equip us to walk in the truth. And that begins, if you take nothing else away today, you are the gatekeeper of your mind. And you must stand there and guard diligently and vigilantly every thought and take it captive. And say, no. That is not a thought. I am bringing my thought in obedience to God. This is the right thought. And we need to get tough with our minds. We need to take control because that's where the battle takes place. All the others spring from that. So if nothing else, do you have the mind of Christ? Have you trusted Christ? And if so, are you guarding your mind that the mind of Christ is in you. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for truth. Thank you that truth will always prevail. And Lord, I pray that we would be followers of truth, that we would walk in truth. I pray today that we'd have a renewed awareness of the battle that's going on in our minds. And, Lord, that we would take captive every thought to bring it into obedience to you. Lord, I pray that we would fight the good fight of faith and that the fruit of it would glorify you mightily. For we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Fight the good fight of faith in your mind.